Well, that was uh, worship itself was uh, interesting for for me because um, it's been a couple of years since I've actually been able to close my eyes for more than 30 seconds and I'm not looking down and wondering where one of my kids is wandering off to. So that in itself is great to be able to just enter in and and just be able to worship without wondering. So um, it's been an interesting journey over the last couple of months to tonight for me. you know, there's a. From the moment that I spoke to Corey, the Lord very clearly uh, mentioned to me about the topic He wanted me to talk to tonight. It's a very confronting topic. It's also a topic for which I don't have lots of experience with. I have some. I can talk to a number of things, and I. I remember actually driving down here to the office one day and I'm going, Lord, what can I do about this topic? And he says, no, just do it. Just do it. Um, and as some of you know, I got very sick recently. Uh, and uh, one of the nights while I'm lying there, I've had one of the clearest conversations with God. And I said, I'd said to him again, I said, Lord, I can't do this topic. And he's turned around to me once again. He said, no, no, ask me questions. So I did. And he came back to me and he said, well, I'll tell you this, but I'm not going to tell you this. You don't need to know. So uh, it's, a, it's been a very interesting journey. And, and for me, it's come from a very much, um, you know, you'll see a lovely PowerPoint here tonight. Uh, myself, I'm used to speaking to corporate audiences. So I'm used to going to conferences and speaking on technical topics about um, IT matters, about how things work, why you do certain things. So um, my presentations are that way orientated. But to be able to... <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, it's already broken. Luke's sitting up the back there actually moving for me because we had a disconnection in the technology before we even started. <laughs> However... In in talking about that, um, standing up here and talking about how God has moved in my life in these areas is a very different, very uh, exposing thing for me to be able to do. Um, You know, we all get up and we talk about the different things, but to be able to talk on a topic like that was a on and on addiction is a very very hard thing for me because in my heart. I've got the enemy kind of trying to speak in there saying, you're not good enough to do this. Look at all this lovely brokenness in your life. How could you actually get up and, and talk to people about this topic or any topic? You know, so for me, it's been, it's been quite a bit of a journey. Um, you know, and it's not something that's very, very widely talked about. Uh, in a lot of circles because addictions are very much like they're the secret things that we hold. They're the things that it's not like we're missing a limb. There's something on the inside of us. There's something that is personal to each and every one of us. So to be able to talk about these particular topics, it strikes a nerve in everybody in some particular way because it's not just about addiction. 
it's also about our habits. For those of us that are younger here, it's about how you form habits that can become addiction. For those of us that are older, it's about do we have bad habits that border on addictions or do we have addictions? So this is something inside of us. And this is why I've titled it, titled it off the, uh, the words from the song, Why I Do What I Don't Want to Do. So let's jump into a little bit about what we're going to be talking about here tonight. Look, uh, so habits and addiction, and if you want to click the next one. So when it comes down to it, God really knows we're broken. He knows a lot about our conditions and our problems, and was I going to stand on that? I probably was. Um, he knows about what troubles us. And when we get very troubled, we get depressed, we get a lot of anxiety in our life, and sometimes we turn to a particular habit, uh, a substance. Um, you know, there's a meme out there, or a mime, or however you say it, out there on Facebook that you see sometimes, and it says, if you can't talk to a woman, um, then retreat to a safe distance and throw chocolate at her. <laughs> now... <laughs> We joke about this, but there are some people out there that, uh, that this meme was probably created because some people have an issue with chocolate, and chocolate is the only thing that can hold them back. So sometimes in our society, we joke around the topics that cut to the heart. In our, our Australian society, the she'll be right mate or the, uh, the kind of uh, slightly stand back and say, well, if you've got a problem, I'll help you if I really have to, but you deal with it uh, kind of culture we have is a, is a hard one. So what do we look at when we look at habits in addiction and where they become negative as opposed to positive? So the first thing is, is we look at the, the fact that it could be a craving that it doesn't matter how much of it that we have, we can't deal with. And now I'm not just talking about chocolate. I'm talking about anything. This could be a behaviour, this could be a substance, it could be physical, it could be mental. It could be something you think about or something you do. But it's a compulsion that you have. It's a craving or it's an enslavement too. You can't do without that thing. If you have to go without that thing, you shut down. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, or it's a dependence. So once again, like enslavement. And it was really interesting. As I was looking through this particular topic, um, I'm, I'm going to take a bit of a page from uh, Mr. Bajaya here, and I said, so what happens in the Latin? What does this actually mean? What does addiction mean in the Latin? And looking it up, it says, to be enslaved by or bound to. So that means if you have an addiction or bordering a bad habit or something along those lines and you can't do without it, that means you're enslaved to it. Often when we have an addiction, that means that we're putting that addiction above everything else and that includes God. So when that happens, I have this lovely iPad here. Who here has a smartphone, an iPad, something like that? Everybody? Yep. Who here has a Facebook account? Yes? So when you guys wake up in the morning, do you grab your phone? Do you grab your iPad? And do you check your Facebook first thing in the morning? 
I'm not saying anything because I could get in trouble from Olivia there. A lot of people, and there are articles out there on the web, have addiction to Facebook. They wake up first thing in the morning, they grab their smart device and they check their Facebook status. The last thing, the last thing they do before they go to bed at night is they check their Facebook status. They post something. They go to work, they grab their coffee, they check their Facebook status before they do any work. Now, do you do that? Or is the first thing you do is grab the Bible and read the Word of God in your devotion for the day? Think about it. We all go through times of our lives, but sometimes when we have addiction, this thing gets in between us and God. It's like I'm standing here, God's behind the iPad, but I'm kind of going like this, so I don't have to see God, but I've got my addiction right here. So we'll move to the next slide. So in looking at this, there, are, there is a scripture which really talks very well to the heart of addiction. And if everybody, and those of you with your Bibles, if you want to look up Romans 7, 14 to 25... Now, the, uh, I've chosen the message version because this particular set of scripture is very detailed, but it's also uh, quite confusing. And I found that the message version was a little bit less confusing. So if we, if we look it up and I'll, I'll read it off the, off the top actually off here. So taking it section by section, so verses 14 to 16, it says, I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all of God's commands are spiritual, but I am not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. I can say that I am sometimes. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I can decide one way, but then I can act another doing things that I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. So this starts our journey. And really what we're saying in this small passage of Scripture here is I'm broken. I've got problems. I've got bad habits. I've got addictions. I need help. I'm wanting God's help. I don't want to do it the way that I did it before, before I knew the Lord. So if we move to the next, next uh, verses 17 to 20, we're going, but I need something more. Note the emphasis on the more there. For if I know, that the, uh, know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. So this is me talking about me and another, almost like another me which keeps tripping myself up. I obviously need help. I realise that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to be bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. So combining these two sections of Scripture, this, this passage is just basically screaming, help me. 
It's screaming and I'm going, I know how stuffed up I am. I know I'm broken. I need help. I am crying out to the Lord here. And I'm going, this thing in me, this Facebook, this iPad, help me. Not that I'm going to throw the iPad on the ground and stomp on it. But it's saying, help me. And if we look at the next bit, 21 to 23, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. For those of us that have an addiction, we know. We know it's going to happen. We're almost resigned to the fact that tomorrow I'm going to wake up and uh, as I wake up I'm going to grab my iPad and I'm going to check Facebook. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commandments. So I do. I, I, really want to, I really want to wake up and do my devotional first thing in the morning. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. That word covertly. It's like ninjas are coming in and taking over. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. So for those of us that are dealing with really bad habits, with addictions, whatever they might be, this scripture is saying I'm resigned to the fact that my addiction has got the better of me. I'm resigned to the fact that I'm going to wake up first thing in the morning and think about my addiction, that it's going to control me during the day. I don't want it to, but I'm resigned to that fact. And, and next, we even almost go a little bit further. So when we look at the verse 24 and bring that up, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. And when we look at that particular scripture a little bit, we're talking about a rope almost in the addiction sense where we start talking about, I'm going to hang myself. That's the end of the rope. And if you look up where that term comes from, it actually talks about a hangman's noose. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Now, when you look at this in some of the other translations... This is a really interesting scripture, but the message really kind of captures that in our culture where it says, is there nobody who can help me? So when we go to the next and the last scripture in here, we find our hope. So if we bring up the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So in this scripture, we've gone from the fact that I've got addiction, I need help, I'm at the end of my rope, what am I going to do? There's got to be some way out of this, to the fact that now God is coming and saying, Jesus Christ can now come in and he can help you. So for an addict... This describes exactly what they're dealing with on a daily basis and provides the hope that they need to be able to break the cycle of addiction, to be able to break that bad habit. And we'll move on to the next slide. So I wanted to, uh, to spend a quick time and actually understand how addiction works. 
So the Lord made us with these fantastic bodies. Inside of us, our DNA, if you were to pull one strand of DNA out of our body, which is so minuscule it's not funny, it would stretch from where I'm standing right here up to the moon and back again. That's how long a single DNA chain in outside our body. So does that make sense? It's inside our body. It's that long, just one of them. And we have millions of them inside of us. Can you think of the engineering that went into a body to be able to do that? That's incredible. And we've only just started to understand all the different codings and how they go together. You know, how great is God to be able to design something physical like that? Imagine how much more has gone into our souls inside of us, how much more infinitely complex they are to reside in this physical body. So why do we get addicted? When we look at it, inside of our brain, which interprets pleasure, there are two particular hormones that run in our brain. There's a, a hormone called dopamine, which is released, and that then gets interpreted by our bodies. And you see that lovely picture of the brain there. The dopamine is interpreted by the nucleus ac acumen, I can't say it properly, I've been trying to say it properly for a couple of weeks, but by that section of the brain, when dopamine is released into the brain, when that particular gland inside the brain reads the dopamine and the dopamine's levels, that's turned into pleasure for the brain. So the brain's going, oh, that feels good. So when I've been sick recently, I haven't had uh, any soft drink. And those that know me know I like a can of Coke here and there, or three or four or eight or 12. Maybe it's an addiction I need some help with. But when I got better uh, and um, my lovely wife took me up the coast not that long ago, I sat down with a really cold can of Coke and I cracked it and I heard that that you hear when you do, straight away my brain has started releasing dopamine because of this second hormone up here called glutamate. And what that happens is when you have a pleasurable experience and your brain interprets that, the glutamate helps to actually store the memory of that in the memory centres of the brain. So these two hormones interact in your brain that when I cracked that can of Coke and heard that before I even put it to my lips and had a sip, the dopamine was being released in my brain because my brain had a memory in there to know what was going on. So if we go to the next point, as I said, um, please, spell check didn't work there. Pleasure is measured by that particular gland inside of the brain. Please is a response. <laughs> <laughs> and if we look at the brain, those two hormones and what I've just described, along with our DNA that I talked about before, you know, our brain gives us our intelligence. It gives us our right to be able to reason. It gives us the ability to be able to, uh, to look at something and determine whether we've got to fight for it or flight for it. And that's where adrenaline comes into the system as well. But one of the things is, when we're dealing with an addict, 
when we're dealing with uh, someone who has a substance abuse problem or someone who has an emotional abuse problem or we're talking to them or trying to help them, a lot of the times we don't realise that these hormones and that picture that I just described there, that's a really hard thing if you're not an addict to understand what's going on here because the brain adapts to those levels of hormones that are going on there. So if you have an alcohol issue, you drink and drink and drink and drink, your brain remembers that. The next time that you need that high that's given to you by alcohol or, or, um, or drug fix or something along those lines, or checking your Facebook status or the piece of cho chocolate or something along those lines, the next time that you need that, your brain is adapting to that. It's turning down the levels of the, uh, of the dopamine in your system so that that time you have to put more of it in your system to get to that same place again. So your brain adapts. It's very, very smart. Because when you start flooding too much dopamine into your system, it's like it's screaming too much at the gland in your brain. So it, it turns the gland down a little bit. And it, if you keep that addiction going, you have to do something more to get to that same level because the memory centres of the brain are trying to tell you what it was before and you're always trying to get back to that place. So if we look at the next one, unlike a, uh, a psychological addiction, substance abuse does get you there quicker. So if you are an addict, that has alcohol or drug dependency, something along those lines, those hormones will be artificially introduced in the system a lot quicker. But a psychological addiction will get you there as well. It just takes a little bit longer for those levels to build up. A good example of a, uh, a, a mini kind of issue is those of us that are old enough in our youth, who's been out for a few drinks? Yeah? I see a few hands there, or maybe more than a few. When you wake up the next morning, how do you feel? You feel like you've been run through the side of a barn, don't you? Your dry mouth, your head hurts like nothing, or you, you kind of just kind of, uh, yes, my wife is smiling, but yes, I have been there myself. There's a couple of times, there's a, a trip I did many years ago uh, to another country, and I was so sick, I remember leaning over the basin at the middle of the night, looking in the mirror and going, oh God, I'm never going to do this again. What I was experiencing there was that while I was having a good time out with everybody, my body was going through the pleasure cycle. When I stopped feeding it those substances... I went through a mini withdrawal. My body shut down and I had very, very minor symptoms of what goes through an addict as they remove themselves from that addiction. So that's something to keep in mind. When you're dealing with an addict, it's very hard for them to go cold turkey. They can't just turn it off because they'll end up with a hangover like they've never had before and they won't understand why. Okay, so next I want to take a, a little bit of a look at some habits. 
I want to take a, a look at some addictions and dependencies. So let's click the first one there, Luke. Substance abuse. So this is where we typically think about addiction. We think about drugs, prescriptions. I've put smoking on there. Now, smoking is an addiction. A lot of people smoke, and I won't uh, judge anybody for that. However, I've got some mates who uh, are former smokers. Now, they have a horrible time trying to stop smoking because not just the nicotine, they can deal with the nicotine and the drugs, but it's also the psychological fact of going like this. You know, they struggle with it. And I've got a mate who, um, you know, he stopped smoking for a long time. And then we'll go out with the guys. First thing he'll do is light up a cigarette. You know, and, and he'll just go through three times as many cigarettes because his body has been craving that. He could go years without it and just get a whiff of smoke and then all of a sudden he's addicted again. So this is the type of fight that we have to deal with when we're talking about substance abuse. Alcohol is the other one which is generally talked about. Beer, wine, spirits. There's a great episode. Who here has seen The West Wing? So Olivia knows what I'm talking about. This is a great political drama show about the US president. And the chief of staff, Leo, he's a recovering alcoholic. And there's a particular episode where we deal with this particular substance abuse issue. And he says, my problem isn't that I'll have a drink with the boys. My problem is, is that when I go back to my hotel room, I'm going to drink the mini bar dry, then I'm going to order three bottles of scotch and drink the whole thing. I can't stop. He doesn't understand why his brain won't allow him to stop, but he can't. So this is a, another addiction that it's hard to deal with. Now let's look at the third one. So this one is so prominent in our culture today, yet it's the least talked about of addiction, is sexual addiction. Pornography. Pornography is so easy to get hold of these days in our society, whether it be on TV, whether it be from a computer and the internet, whether it be from magazines. Pornography is a hard one to get hold of. And we as men don't talk about this enough. I work in an office up there. Now, because of the work that I do, I am constantly looking at websites. And unfortunately, sometimes, Imagery that I don't want to see comes up on that computer screen. I immediately have to click away from that. Now, addicts, they can't but help to look at that. Men and women, but of course men, we're more visually orientated, so we're a lot more susceptible to it. So we have to constantly be on guard against that. And this is an addiction which is coming through our culture. We need to be able to, men, we need to be able to speak to other men about this and support them. Not judge them, but support them as they deal with this. Adultery is, uh, is another one, and this is something about, just like alcohol and substance abuse, sexual cravings in this. Often it starts off as very simple, harmless things that I, I'm not doing any damage to myself, and often it escalates. You know, where men, will, men or women will go out and have affairs. So with these addictions, they escalate. They're looking for a higher fix than they had before. Moving on to the next one. Technology use. Okay, I struggle with some of this sometimes. Yes, the geek inside of me is there. Facebook, Twitter, email. 
Who here has to check their email in the middle of the night when they go to the bathroom? No? Okay. I've been there. I've done that. That's just the culture I've grown up in at a work perspective. It's kind of like, ooh, I heard my message tone when I went to the bathroom. I better say, oh, it's just spam. I knew it was even before I got there, but that didn't mean I didn't want to do it. Technology is a part of our everyday life. In our culture, it's becoming more and more. I spoke before about the iPads, the smartphones. I'm just about to get a new car. In that new car, I can connect it directly to my phone and I can play music from the internet through my phone in the stereo without me having to do anything. Technology is here to stay. It's not going to go anywhere. So it's an addiction that someone like me, who's a bit of a geek, well, a lot of a geek, I'm constantly on guard with. However, for those of us that aren't geeks, we're still using technology in our everyday life. Who here plays some games, some computer games? Am I the only one? Yeah, okay, a couple of people tentatively going like this. Gaming, is, this is not quite an addiction. I wouldn't call it a bad habit. I love a game. I love to sit down. World of Warcraft is one of my all-time favourite games. Now, <laughs> I'm getting eyes from Olivia here. <laughs> it's one of my favourite games, and I still play it today. But it, it, for me, it has some of the symptoms of addiction sometimes. It's something for which I can lock myself away in a room with. I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't have to interact with anybody in the real world. I'm anonymous. And if I'm having a fight with my beautiful wife over there, because it's probably my fault, I don't have to talk to her. I'm online. I can spend hours upon hours of that. And then when Olivia comes in and goes, come on, Adam, it's time to go to bed. What do I turn around and say? Hang on, I just need another 15 minutes just to finish this quest. Which turns into an hour. Which turns into two hours. And before you know, it's 3am and I've got to get up and go to work in three hours. Addiction is something which is really easy. It starts simple. Just a simple, hey mate, have you checked out this new game? It's really cool. And then it escalates to, oh, I just have to do this. Instead of getting up and checking my emails when I go to the bathroom, I've got to log on to, to the game for a little bit and just check that everything's going okay. We laugh, but the reality is, is we can all identify with something like that in our own lives. Next, food. Food can be an addiction. The... Over or under eating. So some people have an addiction to under eating, anorexia, uh, bulimia, not so much of under eating, but um, some people overeating. We all see the shows on TV where they're trying to help people get fit. Um, what's the name of that show? The Biggest Loser. You know, these people, they talk about their addictions to food, how they love to eat. So we need to be able to understand specific cravings. I spoke about chocolate before. Not that I would deny chocolate to anybody. I, I love chocolate myself. Um, 
Food is another addiction. Uh, next one, Luke. Physical activity. Now, here's another kind of habit of mine I have to struggle with. Work. I run a small business. I run a small business that has been struggling and teetering on the edge for the last few years. So when I wake up in the morning, I don't grab my iPad and check Facebook. I'm waking up and I'm already thinking about what's going on in my day. What have I got to do for the next week? Where's the money going to come from to pay my staff over the next little while? Oh, I've got to go and meet this client, so I've got to prepare this. I'm going on holidays in two weeks, so what are the things I've got to do? I'm thinking about that constantly. Then I go to work, I work for the day. I'm problem solving, I'm helping the boys do things, I'm you know, trying to get that sale, trying to get that client to sign for that new contract so I have some money to pay the bills. And then I come home, I spend a blissful couple of um, hours with my family where I get to play with the kids, eat some dinner, spend a little bit of time with Olivia and then what do I do? I go back to work. And the Lord challenges me on this almost daily, and says, Adam, leave it in my hands. And I said, but Lord, I've got to do this. I've got to wait. I, you know, I, I've got to wait for this to happen, so I've just got to sit here and I'll do these five things. while." It... No, Adam, I want you to stop and pray with me. Instead of sitting there and working on that document, what if I was to actually hand that document over to the Lord and pray to him? Spend an hour praying to the Lord, not just about that document, but about everybody in my life. And then I could spend the next hour on it. And you know what? I'd probably, instead of doing that document in three or four hours, I'd do it in an hour because I've handed it to the Lord. Addiction can be work. It can be exercise. It can be cleaning. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not picking on you there, Trish. But... But some people are compulsive cleaners or hoarders. <laughs> okay, we've got, to, we've got to spend a bit of time with Trish. She put her hand up for both of those. You love to clean the hoard. Yeah, hoard's cleaning product. <laughs> and, and last but not least, let's not forget about addiction to religion. There's a mob over in the Middle East at the moment calling themselves Islamic State. These guys are zealots to their religion. They are addicted to their religion. Now we as Christians... In some ways, we should almost be as addicted to our religion as what they are. We should have every fibre of our body, but not in an addiction, more of a habit, where we wake up and we consume the word of God. We love on people. We help people. They want to walk a different way? Not a problem. But you can be addicted to religion Activities. Some people are addicted to doing the good works of God, but that's all they're doing, the good works of God. What they're missing is the connection to the Creator, to knowing that Jesus, 
He's behind the activity. They're just doing the activity because it makes them feel good. They're addicted to doing it. So religion is a big one. So these are a few of the types of addictions, of habits. And I will call it habits because habits are like addictions. that They have a lot of the same chemical markers, but we can put them down and we can leave them alone and come back to them later. A bad habit, the saying is it takes 21 days to break a bad habit. An addiction takes a lifetime to break. So, yes, it's personal. I shared a, a, just a couple of the, uh, the, um, the addictions. We'll call them addictions for the, for the fun of it. You know, my gaming addictions, my work addictions that I've had. Addiction doesn't start as a problem. I mentioned this before. It grows into it. It progressively, progressively hits us up. It's an excuse. I pick up my iPad here just to check my Facebook status because the pastor of my local church is talking about painting the building. The next thing, I'm checking on my Clash of Clans status. The next thing, I'm seeing what uh, someone I worked with three years ago is posting about their daughter that I've never met before and I'm commenting on it. It never, ever starts off as something we want to hurt us. But it progresses there because we have to have it. We have to do these things. We're worried about what people will perceive of it. It starts with seeds. It moves on to denial. If someone confronts us about it, we get angry with them about it, but we're more and more angry about it at ourselves at it. It leads into depression. And then it goes all around again. An addict lives in this place. We're always looking to maintain that state, that memory of the first time we had that blissful experience. We're looking for a bigger high. But to get that bigger high, it takes a larger risk. I'm going to have to pay my drug dealer an extra hundred bucks this week to get the better stuff. I'm going to need to go to the doctor and I need some more prescriptions because I'm feeling extra depressed this week and I need an extra three pills. You know what? I was talking to someone on a chat, line, a chat room online, so I'm going to go meet them at a motel and, and get that bigger high. I'm going to need to feel that because there's something dead inside of me. And God, I know you're there, but if I put the iPad down and you give me a hug, I'm going to have to admit to myself I've got a problem. Another thing that we don't realise about addiction is it changes our brain waves, our brain patterns. I spoke about the memory centres of the brain before. Every time you have that addiction, every time that you give in to that addiction, every time that we need to work on something and it, our addiction distracts us from it, our brain pattern changes. 
So it gets harder and harder to be able to break that. And so next I want to uh, move across and uh, we've got a little bit of sound here. So I spoke about my gaming addiction before. This is a little video from a show called The Big Bang Theory. This video talks and shows a little bit about what addiction is about. Do you want to run that, Luke? So, addiction takes many forms. Penny was addicted to that particular game. She let herself just fold into it. She ignored everybody. Her friends came around and said, I'm concerned. And what did she do? She said, go away. She ignored them. She moved on. She went back to her addiction. She even pulled a Cheeto out of her hair and just popped it straight in her mouth. You know. When that same person came to talk to them again, what did she do? She used a sword and chopped off their head. Went back to her game. The end of that particular episode is another clip I was going to show, but that, at the end of that particular episode, Penny throws the computer away and goes, I need help. I need help. I'm addicted. I'd say she, in the series she never played it again. For us as Christians, we go, I need help. And we come to a brother or a sister and we talk about it. If we move on to the next slide, we get to talk a little bit more about what addiction does to me. And let's bring up the first one. We give up talking. I talked about it changes our brainwave, our patterns. We hide ourselves away like Penny did in that clip. We ignore our friends, our family. We give up talking to God because we're so busy with our addiction. It's the number one thing that we have to have in our lives. We lose our health and vitality. It wasn't very clear in that clip, but Penny was in a tracksuit and she had blotchy face and she just was not taking care of herself. Her vitality was leeching away. By hiding ourselves, we're hiding our shame because if someone actually knew about our addiction, you know, they might rebuke us. They might reject us. And when we're talking about an addiction, something we have to have, someone who rebukes you, that's the same as killing us. It's the same as turning around and waking up that next morning with that massive hangover without actually having stopped the addiction. Because someone has rebuked us, they've taken away our reason for living Next. Our focus when we wake up in the morning is where we're going to get our next fix. Am I going to be able to see my dealer today? Is that person going to post that picture of the cat on Facebook I've been looking forward to all week? <laughs> but most of all, it puts us ahead of everything else. It's selfish because it's all about us. How do we get our fix? 
It's not about God, what God wants for our lives. It's not about how our brothers and sisters and families might be wanting to help us. It's all about us. And let's move to the next slide. So addiction doesn't just affect us, though. When we're in the midst of it, we're not thinking about anything else but us. But it affects everybody around us as well. It affects our friends, our families, our work colleagues. When we have an addiction, we're not doing our job properly and that's affecting that. It's affecting our school friends as well. The effects can be social, so it can be traumatic bonding in a family experience where a young family has a, a parent who is dealing with alcohol or drug addiction. That's traumatic bonding. They're having to do things that they normally wouldn't have to do. They're not getting a normal childhood. So they're bonded to their parent, looking after their parent figure or their siblings, and they're not able to have a childhood where they're, where they're loved, where they're nurtured to be able to grow up. They have to do that artificially, so it's traumatic bonding. They're usually hypervigilant. What that means is they're always on the lookout. Is mum going to have a fall when she's in that particular state? You know, how's dad going to get home? And that translates into watching when I'm at school about what's going Oh, hang on. Uh, you're acting a bit like mum, so I better give you a hand with this when they might not need it. So they're hypervigilant or hyperreactive. The smallest thing sets them off. Now, they're not the ones with the addiction, the family, the friend, the co-worker, but they're affected by it. You know, So we need to be able to support. So for those we're dealing with, for those we're helping with addiction, or we're looking to, to get help with our own addictions, we need to realise it's not just us but the families. Next. Psychology. Not only us, but our family and friends go through denial. They overcompensate. They distort reasoning. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. My, my dad isn't an alcoholic. He just enjoys a good drink. Loss of trust. We don't trust the people around us. Now, I know, I know Kirk can tell a few stories of addicts that can come in, that have come into this place. And they have a lack of trust of the people around them, but they know they need help. They know they need Jesus. A lot of the time, Jesus calls people into places like this where they can get counselled, where they can get help. But you've got to come from a place where there is no trust. And that goes for the family members as well. I've seen families come in and it's not just the addict that has to deal with it, it's the kids, it's the family. They don't trust as well. It takes time and effort. Emotionally, sometimes we've got no emotions. I can't deal with the fact that my, my wife has a Facebook addiction. <laughs> so when, when I get asked questions about it, I'm just no face. Or... I just fly off the handle. It's not fair. Olivia doesn't give me a kiss in the morning when she wakes up. She just checks her Facebook account. 
We overreact. We have relationship issues. And physically, those of us that have to deal with it. I was uh, doing some research for this and I was reading around some of the issues and I came across an article that was talking about a wife's reaction to a Christian husband's addiction to pornography and how she was going through depression, anxiety, the anger and abuse that she felt, that the sin in the husband's life was causing this to her, about how hurt she was, how rejected she felt. She knew that her husband loved her, that physically desired her, but that was what she felt because he was dealing with the addiction and they needed to work with it together. The article was a great article. By the, she spoke about how she went through it all and how she had to come back to the father's heart and let the father substantiate who she was as a person. That this was not an issue of hers. That her husband needed to deal with this issue. And even then, she could, how she could support him it affects all of us around this and next and spiritually when we're dealing with addictions of any type spiritually it opens up chinks in the armor we can let things into our life where the enemy is influencing us and we're fair enough that you know there's something on our back something influencing us. But do we realise when we're dealing with that addiction that that can also be influencing those that are right beside us? When my daughter was born, when my son was born, I prayed extensively over them to break all the genetic issues in my life, to break all the spiritual things that have been passed down to me. I am forever taking those prayers against my kids, against my wife. And when I get overextended, when I have had a bad day at work, when I in the past have done something that I shouldn't have, I often freak out that I've let something in to my life which can affect my wife, my kids. It freaks me out. And I go straight to the Father and I say, Lord, help. I've screwed up. This rubbish that I've just had to deal with today, it's not just affecting me, it's affecting my family. There are days where I come home from work, there's been probably a lot more days than I'd like there to be, where I've come home and I'm a real grump. I've given everything I can to put on a a huge happy face at work. Inside, I'm dead though. But I know I've got to do these things. And when I come home, I'm bringing that home with me. And I've got nothing left in the tank to be able to put on a happy face for Olivia and the kids. Because I know in a few hours' time, I've got to go and do some more work. My brain is already thinking about that. The memories are already there. How do we bring that to the Lord?
there's some good news. I won't open them up, but when we talk about it, we have 1 Corinthians 10.13. It talks about the mere fact that we're never, ever, ever tested beyond our ability for God to help us. He never puts us in any situation, ever, where it's beyond his ability for him to help us. It's beyond our ability. We can't deal with it. Few of you know my story from the last couple of years. You know, I praise God every day that I'm still standing here today trying to do what he asked me to do. If I tried to do that in my own strength, I wouldn't be doing this today. I'd be somewhere else. I'd be run away from God. You know, Olivia and I would probably be at each other's throats. Or we'd do, be doing fun with Dick and Jane. Okay, a few people know that one. But the key is, is that there is never a situation, God never puts us in a situation where he's not able to come in and help us through it. Next one. We also look at 1 Corinthians 6.11 and it talks about the fact that where we fall, whether we're addicted to something, where we have to deal with it every single day, or whether we have a bad habit, or whether we've just had a bad day. We are washed and sanctified. Sanctified being the key word there. He stands us back up again when we fall and puts us back into the right place right beside him. He looks at us after we've just shot up, after we've just taken those pills, after we've just had that drink, after we've just looked at that cat photo. He's, he looks at us and he goes, I love you. It's okay. I understand. I understand. But look at all of this. I didn't go into all the effort of making those big DNA chains, of bioengineering the human body, of putting the souls and the minds in there just to let it all go, just to leave you in this pit of despair. I want you up here with me. I want every single one of you up here with me. I want to love you and I want you to get my heart so that you can love everybody else. If you're dealing with one of these types of abuses, one of these types of addictions, one of these types of habits, one of these compulsions... God can free you. Not only that, he can put you in a place to help other people who are dealing with those addictions as well. Jesus never used the teachers of religion to help teach about religion. He went to the addicts. He went to the downtrodden, the fallen, the people who had no hope and he raised them up and he sent them out to go and do healing 
those that doubted, he said, go and do it anyway. This was a this was a really you know big one for me. Not so much in the in the um, in the addict side of things, but from a work perspective, in my daily struggle, where I'm waking up and thinking about work and going to sleep and going for there. For an addict, it it's not to give up the the struggle. A true addict with no hope doesn't struggle against their addiction, they give in to it. With your habits and your addictions, struggle against them. It's evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life helping you to break that addiction. Never give up. And this was a, this was a big one as well for anything that we're dealing with. God longs, he cries, he groans to meet us in the centre of that pain. When I was lying in bed a few weeks ago, I was sick, I was tired, I was, Lord, why am I doing this with my life? It would be so much easier to go and do that. Can't you feel how much this is hurting me? Can't you feel how much this depresses me? Can't you feel inside, that behind this mask that I put on, how much pain I have? Can't you see that I know the pain that I'm putting on those around me? Why can't I go and do something else, Lord? And in the middle of that, he spoke to me clearly and concisely. He pointed out to me where he helped me. Because I was going, Lord, where were you? And he pointed out to me and he said, Remember this place here? I met you here. I helped you here. I helped you do that. I helped you do this. <laughs> it broke me. I was just kind of like, but I couldn't feel you. But I know. You pointed it out. And yes, I can see very clearly. We're all brothers and sisters together. God is there to help us. But as I said before, when we have to deal with something, when we have a pain, something we need to deal with, we're not the only ones that have dealt with it before. We have all dealt with bad habits, we have all dealt with addictions of many, many, many different types. I've only touched on some of the common ones, but there's a lot more. And this is a place with brothers and sisters together in Christ that is safe. 
where you can come and you can bring that pain and go, Lord, I need help. And you can have brothers and sisters come alongside of you and pray for you, hold you up. It's not an easy place. It's not a simple place. But it is a place where you can get healed.